All right, well, take your uh, Bibles tonight, if you would, and let's go to Acts chapter number 15. I want to thank you for being here tonight, and I know some are watching uh, tonight. Uh, we do have an outline, and I wonder if anybody got in here did not get one of the outlines. Raise your hand. Just keep your hand up until they uh, bring you one, and I want to make sure that everybody has it. Now, a lot of times I don't do this. Uh, I, I do try to, try to provide uh, an outline for folks, and the biggest reason I do, I do this is, uh, you know, it's, it's something that requires a little extra work on my part, but uh, I like to be an equipping pastor. I, I, like, I know if, if you're like me, it's hard sometimes. You sit and listen to a message. It's kind of hard to get it all and keep it all and take it with you. So a lot of times I'll provide something like this, so that you can write on it, you can take notes. It's, it, I'll be honest with you, I put a few blanks. I don't feel fulfilled just because you get your blanks filled in, uh, but use the entire outline and write some things down. And a lot of times I'll, I'll write notes when I'm listening to preaching, and I'll write something that God shows me, that God speaks to me about, because it becomes personal when you see that. But we want to make sure that you follow along. Now, the other thing I'll say as I preface tonight's message is uh, there may be some people here tonight that might even have some of the tendencies that I'm about to share with you tonight. I'm not against, per se. Uh, I, I, I'm interested in what God has to say, what the Bible has to say, what the Word of God teaches. So I am going to come at this the way I believe as Christians we should, and that is from a biblical approach. So if you look at your outline, if you open it up and you look at it, uh, really all you see is scripture. Because uh, I'm going to share with you some thoughts about uh, the subject content tonight, but it's, listen, I'm, I'm not here to, to just chop the legs out from underneath of somebody. Uh, I want to help people. I want to help people that might even be caught up in something like this to, to see the truth to know the truth, because Jesus said the truth shall make you free. So th that is my heart, and I, I wanted to say that tonight because I know a lot of times might even have somebody here tonight, somebody listening tonight, and somebody might want to send me a nice little note that they didn't agree with or they didn't, you know, and that's that's fine. You know, again, I, I, I understand not everybody's a fan, not everybody agrees. I just want you to understand that I've done a lot of research, I've done a lot of studying, I've been, a, uh, been in the Word of God all week with this message, and I've deliberated because there are some things that I could say, but I, you know, I'm like, Lord, if I say that, can I say it in the right way? Can I say it with the right spirit, the right attitude? Uh, my intention is not to offend anyone. My intention is to help you and to help all those that want to be helped. And so that is my desire tonight. And so we're going to begin tonight as a, we'll use for our uh, reference tonight, the launch from Acts 15 and verse 24. And the Bible says, for as much as ye have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls. Now notice they were among us, there are many that are caught up in false teachings and false doctrine, listen to me, that once stood for the truth that we hold so dear tonight. But the Bible says here in Acts 15 that 
they went out from us. And notice that as they went out, what were they doing? They were troubling those that were still there with words. And those words that they were troubling them with were subverting their souls. In other words, the word subverting means to create an unsettling in a person's soul. Listen, one thing we ought to understand is that God's Word always helps us, and that coming to church and being in the house of God should be an opportunity for us to receive help from the Lord. And so as we think about these individuals, there are many out there today, I just know this, the theme that we have this year and what I desire, not only this year, but all the time in my Christian life, is to stand for the truth. And if we stand for the truth, we are going to stand against error. It's just that simple, folks. Uh, there's, there's right and there's wrong. And we must understand what is right in the sight of God and what is considered to be error. Now, one of the growing trends that is popular in Christianity today, and you notice I said in Christianity is the theological approach better known as Calvinism. So tonight, I just simply entitled the message, What's Wrong with Calvinism? A lot of people don't really understand it. Somebody even asked tonight, what is Calvinism? <clears throat> I will say this, that a lot of times we talk to people, we know people that might be caught up in this, but many times they might not use the word Calvinist. It's kind of like when you go to the store. How many of you like it when you go to the canned food aisle and there's labels on the cans? Can you imagine what it would be like if you walked down the aisle and all the cans were on the shelves and there was no labels and you didn't know if you were getting green beans or pinto beans or peas or my wife's unfavorite lima beans. See, labels are not bad. Matter of fact, I like labels. You know, I like to know who I'm talking to. I like to know what I'm about to eat. Uh, sometimes people, when, when we talk about it, and it's getting unpopular nowadays for somebody to say, well, I'm a Baptist. Well, listen, I'm a Christian. I got saved 37 years ago, when I got saved, according to the Bible, I became a Christian. But as I began to study the doctrines of the Word of God, I believed by conviction the Word of God, and that's how I came to the conclusion that I'm a Baptist by conviction, based on my beliefs on the Word of God. Now, there, look, I have friends that, that say, listen, I, I believe the Bible too, but I'm not a Baptist. You know, and again, we've had some discussions, not arguments about it, but a lot of times we don't necessarily hear people using some of these labels. You all with me tonight? I'm just trying to lay some groundwork. Don't want to lose anybody tonight, but I want to make sure that uh, this is coming across. Now, this matter of Calvinism is a theological belief system. That's what it is. It was named after the man by the name of John Calvin. Calvin was greatly influenced by Martin Luther and Calvin was a Protestant reformer of Switzerland back in the 16th century. Now, the doctrines, the, the teachings that are associated with Calvinism, and here's another, I'll throw this term out, uh, is also known as Reformed theology. 
So they, the two are really, in many regards, not completely, in many regards, they are very synonymous, Calvinism and Reformed theology. Uh, again, you see the word Reformed, it means coming out of the Reformation, that time period. And so we, we see here that the doctrines that are associated with Calvinism or Reformed theology were born out of that time period of the Reformation. And you could study that. There's much even in history about that. But one thing you'll find is that Calvinism today and what Calvinism was back when John Calvin was alive is very different. Uh, the, the, the tenets of it, many believe that Calvin himself would not necessarily believe everything that is labeled Calvinism today. There has been a lot of changes that have gone on. Calvinism is a theological belief about how God saves people. Now, so far, it sounds pretty good. Kind of sounds like what we believe. But you'll find in the message tonight some variations from the Word of God. Calvinism is how God keeps people out of hell and how God keeps people into heaven. Calvinism uniquely believes that God has, here it is, sovereignly selected some to be saved, but not all to be saved. This is the real stuff, folks. They believe this. They firmly believe that it is God's will that not all would be saved. <clears throat> not only does this stance on salvation and the character of God cross the fence of heresy, but it really spits in the face of the God of the Bible. Last week, I shared with you in my message, and if you didn't catch that, you can go back and listen to it, but I covered what originally were known as the five fundamentals or the five fundamental beliefs of the Christian faith, and we covered those. Things like the virgin birth and the bodily resurrection of Christ and the inerrancy of the Scriptures. Tonight, with God's help, I want to share with you what is known as the five cardinal doctrines of Calvinism. Now, I'm not making these up. I'm not changing these to have a flavor that would be satisfying to me. I'm going to share with you what is commonly known as these five cardinal doctrines of Calvinism. And to fully understand Calvinistic theology, what they do because of when this took place back in the 16th century in Holland, they chose to use the acronym TULIP. And the TULIPs are all over Holland. And so each one of those letters, T-U-L-I-P, is how they remember, just like we use the word Baptist, and we, 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 we use the B for the Bible is our final authority for all faith and practice, and the, the A stands for uh, the autonomy of the local church, and the P is for the priesthood of the believer. Most of us under, understand what an acronym is. So they use this word TULIP because of Holland to give the five cardinal doctrines of Calvinism, each of these five that we'll look at tonight are really interrelated. As you look at these five, if you believe one, you have to believe the others because they are completely dependent one upon another. 
So as we're going through them, I want you to think through each one of these points. And when we're done, you have to put it all together because if you notice, a tulip is one. It's not five. And if you believe one, you have to believe them all. It's just like Jesus said, if you have offended the law in one point, you've offended the whole law. And so tonight, let's look at the five. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you what the Calvinist uh, doctrine, what these uh, five letters, these major doctrines of Calvinism, what they teach or what they believe. And then I'm going to give you some Bible that if you, if you come across somebody, in other words, that you can share truth with them to help them to understand the errors of this doctrine that we're going to look at tonight. So look at, let's look at the first one. The T of TULIP stands for total depravity. Total depravity. Now, I, I really think that most of us in here tonight you don't have to look far in the Bible to find and to know that people, we are all sinful people. Can I get an amen? Every last one of us, including this pastor, we're all sinners, and if we've been saved, we're sinners saved by the grace of God. But when you look at this, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In that same chapter, in verse 11, there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They're, they are all gone out of the way, they are all be, become, uh, together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. In other words, there's no one exempt. We're all sinners, and it is true that mankind is totally depraved, that mankind is totally corrupt. And so here's, here's where it gets interesting with Calvinistic beliefs. Because Calvinists do say that human beings are totally depraved. They say that they're totally depraved, but given the opportunity, they would never repent and turn to Jesus. They believe if you present the truth to them, if they have the opportunity, that they would never repent and turn to Jesus. Now, the Bible does tell us that it is true that apart from the Holy Spirit drawing us, that none of us would ever come to Christ. I don't know about you, but I remember when the Holy Spirit of God illumined me and showed me from the Word of God that I was a sinner and that I needed a Savior. And I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm glad for that. But the Bible does say in Galatians 3.22, the Scriptures have concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. And yet we see that in this erroneous doctrine that they hold, they say that even if a person has the opportunity, that they would never repent and turn to Jesus. And so we see, again, the slippery slope that begins with the letter T that deals with total depravity. Now, the next letter is the letter U. U stands for unconditional election. Now, again, each one of these bills. Notice it is unconditional, no conditions. Not conditional, it's unconditional. Calvinists believe that God has, here it is, elected certain persons from the foundation of the world. That's interesting. That smacks in the face of so many verses in the Bible. 
that God has elected certain persons. Out of everyone that God has created, he has selected some to be saved. By default, he has selected some not to be saved. It was an unconditional election. This is their wording here. Nothing that God foresaw in them caused him to select him. These are their words. It was just by God's good pleasure. Well, how would you feel if you were not one of those that was selected? I'll tell you how you would feel. You would feel that you are headed towards hell. That God has chosen that you would not be one of the elect. And that whole phrase there that they used, unconditional election, it's actually an oxymoron. The words together, all elections are conditional. You go to the polls and you elect political candidates because of their how they're able to meet certain conditions. All choices are conditional. If your choices are not conditional, then it's not a choice at all. And so here they are saying that we really believe that, that people are not saved by grace, they're saved by chance. It's really to them, and I, I don't think I'm stretching it tonight, a flip of the coin, so to speak. Heads, you're in heaven, and tails, you're not. See, God's selection, they say, is random. And that's, that's not an election at all. The truth is that God foresaw those who would, under his grace, he saw those that would repent of their sins, and he saw those that would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Listen to what the Bible says. 1 Timothy 2, verse 3 and 4. And the, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. Look at this. God, who will have how many men to be saved? all men to be saved. And notice you can also add to that, even though the words aren't there, the understanding is, and that all would come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants everyone. God's not playing hide and go seek. As a matter of fact, he's given you his word. He's given you his spirit. He's given you his son so that we can know him. The Bible says God is not willing that any would perish. Notice what Ezekiel said in the Old Testament. For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. God says, listen, I want everyone to spend eternity with me in heaven. Jesus in John 3, 17, God sent not, uh, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be what? Yeah, God wanted everyone to get saved. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to how many men? To all men. I'm sorry, Mr. Calvinist, but your, whole, your bucket has holes in it. Notice 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but his longsuffering to us were not willing. God is not willing that any would, what? Perish, but that all should come to repentance. Look what Spurgeon says, I believe in election, but I don't know who they are. I have found the more people I witness to, the more elect I find. 
Do you know who needs to be saved? Everyone. For God so loved the world. I don't see an unconditional election when it comes to the Word of God. But many believe this today. Notice what the L stands for. It stands for limited atonement. Notice the last word, unconditional. This is limited atonement. How many of you are glad for the atonement? All right, the blood of Jesus, right? So, so watch this. The blood of Jesus. Who can be cleansed but the blood of Jesus? Everyone. See, Calvinists believe, here it is, they believe God has only pre-selected a minority of people to be saved. So the question that begs my mind is, why did Jesus die for everyone then? I mean, it just seems like a valid question to me. In, Cal- in Calvinistic theology, here's how they, they'll, they'll deal with that is, Jesus didn't die for everyone. He pre-selected some. He only died for those whom God pre-selected. But again, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, folks, that's open-ended. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And that advocate is Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only. He's writing here to Christians, but also he is the propitiation for the sins of what? The whole world. That's everybody, folks. That includes everyone. Calvinist belief in limited atonement implies that only the sins of the elect were the ones that were atoned for by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And yet again, that's not my Bible. That's not my God. And so we see total depravity. We see unconditional election. We see limited atonement. The I stands for irresistible grace. Irresistible. Not resistible, irresistible grace. Now what is this all about? Here's what they believe when they teach this one cardinal doctrine is that those whom God has pre-selected, remember I told you these are all interrelated, interconnected, so those that God has pre-selected, that God gives them a grace that's irresistible. And as God gives that grace that's irresistible, that's what causes them to be born again, watch this, against their own will. Now, we believe in individual soul liberty. Where do we get that from? Not from Baptist teaching. We get that from the Bible. God has given each one of us a will. We call it a free will. You Watch this. You exercised it tonight when you chose to come to church. Some people exercised it tonight when they chose not to come to church. You see, you have a will. You can choose. We're not robots. God's created us in His image and in the likeness of Almighty God. But listen, God gives us a free will to make choices. That's why Joshua stood in the last days of his life, and he says, look, if it seemed evil unto you, he says, you make the choice for you and your family, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I mean, he had, he had cast the die right there, and he says, look, we're going to stand for the truth. It doesn't matter what everybody else does. Listen, I wish everybody would come along with us. 
I don't want to lose anybody. But the reality is, some people aren't going to make the journey. You're going to lose some people along the way. But listen, may it be because of the truth instead of because of us. You see, this matter of grace, in the Bible, there are, you can read and study, and I could name person after person in the Bible, people who resisted God. See, it says right here in their beliefs, they believe that this grace that God gives is irresistible, and that grace is what causes them to be born again against their own wills. But yet, the Bible records how many times people resisted God. And when people resisted God, what did God do? At, for, at, the, at the onset, when people resisted God, the Bible says that God lamented it. It breaks the heart of God. If you've had children, and your children turn their backs on you, it breaks your heart. And the Bible says time and time again, in His mercy, in His grace, that God lamented when His people turned away from them, and He called them to repent of their sins. But it's their choice. Notice a few verses tonight about this, uh, Genesis 6, 6, in the beginning of the Word of God, it repented the Lord, look at this, that He had made man on the earth and it grieved Him at His heart. Six verses into our Bible, six chapters into our Bible, God says, look at, look at the creation, that I, I look at mankind, I mean, the crowning of His creation, and God says, it, it repents me. Now, it doesn't surprise God because God knows all things, right? But the Bible says here that God repented that he had made man. It grieved him at his heart. Notice in Matthew 4, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and he began to say, repent, turn from your wicked ways, in other words, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Folks, look, we have no idea when the Lord's coming back, but I'll tell you this, we need to make sure we're right with God when he does. Guess what John the Baptist preached? Repent. Guess what the Old Testament prophets preach? Repent. And guess what we still need to preach today? Repent. Turn from our wicked ways. Acts 17.30. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now, look at this, he commandeth all men everywhere to do what? To repent. Luke 13, 3, I tell you nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Hey, listen, you know, I'll tell you this, we are blessed, and one reason we're blessed is because of the goodness and long-suffering of God. Because God doesn't just put one road sign up. He puts another and another and another and another, and what do we do? We just keep ignoring sign after sign after sign. Hey, listen, take it up and study the nation of Israel, what happened to them for ignoring the signs. And time and time again, we see people resisting God. And yet Calvinists say that if you're going to repent, listen, or excuse me, they say if you're not going to repent unless God has pre-selected you with his irresistible grace. That's what they believe. You're not going to repent unless God has 
made you one that he pre-selected with this grace that is irresistible. And yet the Bible says in Titus 2.11, the grace of God that appeareth, that bringeth salvation, hath appeared unto all men. Romans 5.15, look at the verse. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. You see, they say, listen, unless you're one that God has pre-selected, then you are not going to repent. And understand tonight, that is not the Bible. God wants us to turn from our wicked ways. And yet they say that there is this irresistible grace. Notice the fifth one tonight, and again, they're all connected. The, the P stands for the perseverance of the saints. Now, again, the word saint is an indication of those that are saved. And so if God has pre-selected, again, just connecting the dots here tonight with their theology, that if God has pre-selected some to be saved, then they will be saved. But here's where it gets interesting. That when they come to faith in Christ, here's what they say, they will never fall away. They will never fall away. Now, we believe once saved, always saved. That's a Bible fact. God gives you everlasting life. He gives you eternal life. Nothing can take that away because you didn't save yourself. God saved you. But what they say with this perseverance of the saints is that once a person is saved, if they're one of the pre-selected, that that person will never fall away from the faith. They'll never turn the other way. Now, the Bible, again, is full of Scripture, of people that fell away or people that would fall away. Now, the Bible talks about, in the end times, how there's going to be a falling away, and there's the word we use many times is the word apostasy, which that's what that means, to fall away from the truth. But can I say that long before you get to the scriptures dealing with the end times and the apostasy and the falling away, there are many verses in the Bible that just deal with something that the Bible calls backsliding, to slide back, to no longer be where you were when God saved you. Because God doesn't change, right? Amen? We're the one that changes. We're the one that moves. And so here's what we find is many scriptures dealing with, for instance, Proverbs 14, 14, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. Hosea in the Old Testament said, my people are bent, bent to backsliding from me, God says. It's our bent. We don't think about it. Before we, before we even think, we're already walking away from God. Notice what the Bible says in Jeremiah. Return, God says through the prophet, ye backsliding children. And notice, if they do return, God says, I will heal your backslidings. Well, most of us know this verse. We use it a lot of times when it comes to revival meetings, but... 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people, notice, whose people? Yeah, God's people, right? Now watch this. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Well, no need to humble yourself unless there's a problem. It says, if they will humble themselves and pray, 
It means come to God. Seek my face and look at it. Here it is. Turn from their what? Their wicked ways. Now notice God doesn't say, listen, I'll cut you off. No, look at, look at the verse. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's the nature of God. God wants us to repent. He wants us to come back to him, but it is our nature, it is our bent to backsliding. We looked at this verse a couple Sundays ago, Revelation 2.4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. By the way, you didn't love God first. The Bible says he loved you before you ever loved him. Notice what it says in Hebrews. I want you to look at these verses out of Hebrews 6. Verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. How many of you have been enlightened? Yeah. Look at this. And have tasted of the heavenly gift. Doesn't it taste good? It says we're made partakers of the Holy Ghost. If you're saved tonight, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now look at this. And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Here it is. If they, all those people that have tasted, been enlightened, that were made partakers, that have tasted the good word of God, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. The Bible, just look at this, just three chapters before that, chapter 3, verse 12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. You're either with God or you're not. How close are you to the Lord? Because many times, and here's what I have found, even people that I know, friends that I have, used to be close to the Lord, but now they are believing, they are eating, they are swallowing these false teachings because they're no longer as close to the truth as they once were. It's a slippery slope. Many believe these today. There's no doubt when you look at the Word of God, what do you see? We are saved by grace through faith. We are kept by faith. The Bible is clear that we should continue in the faith once we are saved. The Bible says in Colossians 1 that we are to continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard. Notice what it says in Acts 14, 22, confirming the souls of the disciples. And notice what else they did. They were exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus said, if ye continue in my word, that's evidence that ye are one of my disciples. Notice also in chapter 15, Jesus said, As the Father loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Continue ye in my love. Acts 13, 43, When the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, here's what they did. They persuaded them to continue in the grace of God just to continue to grow. But see, Calvinists assert that those whom God has called into a communion with himself, that they will continue in faith until the end. And yet the Bible's clear. 
that many, many will fall away. There's no way that, that, that you can say that you or I. You see, listen, if it were not for the grace of God, so go all of us. Any of us tomorrow could walk away from the Lord. Understand that it's a choice that we all have. And understand that the Calvinists say that if God has called you into a communion, that you will never, you will continue in the faith until the end. Now, again, there are so many other things. I'm just trying to get, get you an idea tonight of the false teachings of this. But where do these Calvinists, where do these people come up with all of these teachings? Well, here's what they do. Like so many, they'll take scriptures and they will isolate them from the rest of the Bible. They'll take a verse, they'll take a small portion, and they will build something out of it. By the way, that's how all wrong and bad theology is fabricated, is they will isolate a certain portion of the Word of God to make it fit what they want it to be. Now understand, our Bible doctrine must be in harmony with the rest of the Scriptures. If, I, if there is something that I am teaching, something that I am preaching, if you notice this morning from my message, and many times my messages are expositorially, in other words, we started in Psalm 77, but we spent most of the morning in James chapter 1. But if you notice while we were in James chapter number 1, I gave you a commentary on James chapter 1 from other verses in the Bible because the best commentary on the Bible is still the Bible. We need to make sure that our scriptures are in harmony with the doctrines that we believe. I love what somebody said. A wiser course is to avoid the language of theology and to use the language of the Bible instead. See, the problem is, is theology many times becomes man's theology. I'd rather know what thus saith the Lord. For the past three or four decades, maybe longer, Calvinism, this doctrine, this theological system has been capturing the hearts and minds of Americans. And the reality is, is that it's especially been making inroads with younger Americans. Calvinism centers around mostly young people, and here's, here's something that has been already pointed out many times, and that is, these are young people who feel like they grew up without some sort of solid theology in their lives. Now, let me just pull over here and park. If young people are growing up with weak or no theology, shame on the church and shame on the home. Because God's given the home and the church to be the teaching institutions for our children. See, many times, and I, I saw this when I taught in the college, in a Bible college for 12 years, I saw students come year after year, and at first I didn't really uh, make the analogy, but, but after a couple years I started to notice a little bit of a trend, and I can't say all, but I'll tell you there was a good portion, enough for me to really start to take note year after year after year, where I would just be teaching something that, that if I could categorize it in a Bible college setting was just basic Bible teaching. Now again, I know that's kind of a broad spectrum, but just basic Bible doctrines. 
And I would, I would ask a question, questions that I thought young people that were in a Bible college could easily answer. And come to find out that whenever I would give tests and quizzes, and I would see some of the answers, and I would see the student's name on the paper, I knew many of those students. I had met their parents, many of them. I had met some of their pastors. I had been to some of their churches. Some of those kids that could not answer basic theology questions were what we oftentimes call PKs, preacher's kids. You see, just because you grow up in a preacher's home doesn't mean you're going to be a good Christian or you're going to know the Bible. As a matter of fact, many times it's just the opposite sometimes. A lot of these students were students that should have known some of these answers. And I, what crossed my mind as an instructor was I need to help these young people because somewhere along the way they got off the tracks. They've missed something. And what many of the cults in the world and many of the false teachings in the world do is they, they have these, these antennas and they hone in on these young people and they start to fill their minds and their hearts. And these young people, because they don't know, in other words, the word I would use is a Bible word, ignorant, they have no knowledge of it, so they accept teachings like this we're looking at tonight as Bible truth. And now, watch this, you have a whole generation that is now coming up that believe things like we're covering tonight, that almost every one of these that I, that I, I spoke and shared with you, most of you, I saw the looks on your face, I heard the moanings whenever I shared things with you, because many of you know the scriptures, many of you know these teachings, but yet what about the generations behind us? Folks, we have a responsibility to those that are coming behind us. It isn't about you. You're not going to be here forever. But it's about those that are coming behind us. You know, I have children. I have grandchildren. Maybe if God lets me live long enough, I might have some grades. But I'm concerned about where the world's going to be. We have a grave responsibility. Look, God's entrusted us with His truth. And it's one thing to say, I'm going to stand for the truth. But it's another that you're going to stand and you're going to give the truth to someone else. I really believe that's why many of you are here tonight. It's because you, you know. See, when God called me to preach, I didn't come from a Christian home. I've said this before. I'm a first-generation Christian, and I knew when God called me to preach. Somebody asked me, they said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I said, I know one thing. I can't give something to somebody that I don't have. I need to go sit under. I need to be taught. That's why I'm very particular. You asked me, Pastor, do you have a Bible college that you could recommend to my child? Sure, I do. But I also have some that I would not recommend to your child. Why? Because of what they teach. Because of, of the things that they leave out. Because of the things that they emphasize that they ought not to be emphasizing. 
I don't know if you're getting this tonight, how important this is, but young people are being targeted. And, and listen, these are young people that feel like they've grown up without any solid theology. There is not only, listen to this, there's not only what many times, and they don't use the label all the time. If you, if you walk up to somebody and they say, are you a Calvinist? They, many times they won't say, I'm a Calvinist. Just like here's a, another group, and many of these are younger people today. They call themselves, if they were to say it out loud, hyper-Calvinists. Now, what's a hyper-Calvinist? Well, hyper-Calvinism is really hurting the cause of Christ today because it's a belief that God saves the elect, so it kind of hinges off of Calvinism, but watch this. It's say God saves the elect without evangelism, without preaching, and without praying for the lost. It puts everything on what they call the sovereignty of God. Well, excuse me, faith cometh by hearing, and the hearing by the Word of God. It's kind of hard to dance around Romans 10, 14, and 15. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher, and how shall they preach except they be sent, and as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and peace and peace and bring glad tidings of good things. See, hyper-Calvinism, and listen, you call it whatever you want, but it is a real thing today. Here's what it is. It is spawned out of what is called fatalism. Now, again, these are all terms. You can write them down, study them yourself. I can, there's no way I can do justice to cover everything about everything I'm talking about tonight. But listen what fatalism is. It is a decision that nothing can happen today. That's what fatalism is. So a hyper-Calvinist is they go one step in the opposite direction that a Calvinist does. And here's what they, they hold to what I would call, and I made this up myself, and you can take it for what you want. How many of you know Doris Day? Okay, just a few of us aging myself here. But they have the Doris Day syndrome. What will be, will be. Remember K Sarah Sarah? Right? I'm not going to sing it for you. In other words, here's what hyper-Calvinists, when it comes to the ministry, the work of God, here's, here's a, w- w- the way they look at it. They, they, they'll say, well, we can't build churches today. They'll say, we can't see people saved today. Well, listen, if we can't see people saved, then why have church? Why have vacation Bible school this summer if we can't see people saved? We, we give invitations and no one comes forward. Well, listen, uh, is the word of God being preached? Is our people's hearts being receptive? They might say, well, listen, no one's coming forward, so we might as well. And by the way, a lot of people have bought into this. Let's just stop giving invitations. Yet I find in the Bible, Jesus said, come. God says he's always inviting us to come to him. A lot of times people look at it and they go, well, that's just the front of the platform. That's just some steps. Listen, we've consecrated this years ago at our church that this is the altar. And an altar is a place of dying to self. And when you come, you come to the altar, you come to spend time with God, and you come to put whatever it is on the altar. And listen, when you come 
at many times they would bring those sacrifices that were living animals and those sacrifices were made and those living animals became dead and you did not pick up those dead animals and take them back home with you. You left them there on the altar. And yet we see today that these hyper-Calvinists, they'll say, well, no one's getting baptized, so we might as well take the baptistry out of the church. It's all a fatalistic mindset. People can't be saved. No one's going to come to church, so we might as well stop having church. So many have fallen into this trap, and eventually, if you fall into the trap of hyper-Calvinism, you will have to change your theology to accommodate your fatalism. I don't know about you, but when I look at all of this, I thought to myself, well, if that is true, if I was a hyper-Calvinist, then why be in the ministry? Man, I could be making some money, Chuck. I could be out making some money. But it's not about making money. It's about doing the work of God. The hyper-Calvinist says, well, why do anything? There are a lot of people today that have become Calvinistic in their hearts, and here's why, because they have lost faith in a miracle-working God, and I really believe that God is not done with His miracles in the world today, and I believe here in our church, we're seeing that God is still doing some amazing things in our world and in our church, and a system of theology of like Calvinism, what does it do? It questions the very reputation of our God. I love the verse, so many verses, but Jesus pouring his heart out over the city of Jerusalem. Now, you remember that Jesus said that he loved the church, and he loved the church so much that he purchased it with his own blood. Well, Jesus didn't purchase a building. It was the people. And you see in the Bible there, and you know it's Matthew 23, 37, when Jesus poured his heart out, over Jerusalem, yes, it was a physical city, but he was pouring his heart out over the people that lived in that city. And notice what the Bible says. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings. And look at these sad words, like our theme verse for the year. And ye would not. You look at that verse there. That verse completely, listen to me, that verse right there alone and many others, that verse totally contradicts Calvinism that says that we have no free will. And notice he says that I would have gathered you. But he says, and ye would not. You see, we are bent to go away from God. Calvinism makes the God it makes our God the author of sin, the, the author of evil, and God is not. That's the devil's job. Listen, if the five points of Calvinism are true, and they are not, but if they are true, then God is barely distinguishable from the devil. Honestly. He was a, Jesus was accused of that in the New Testament, that he was Beelzebub, that he was in league with the devil. How blasphemous. See, the only difference in character is they say that the devil wants everyone to go to hell. But watch this. Calvinists believe that God only wants some or many to go to hell. Remember, because he's only selected some, not all. Hopefully, you're one of the pre-selected. Let me just conclude tonight by saying this. 
God is sovereign. He is. God could easily control us, but he doesn't. And he doesn't, not because we have power over him, because we don't. But he does it because he wants us to love him. God wants us to obey him. God wants us to do it without any obligation. In other words, do you love God? I hope you do tonight. God loves us in so many ways, and I see it time and time again in his scripture, and I see it with his grace. How that his saving grace is not something that we can earn. Many times people think that that it has to be earned. We can reject it. Listen, God's not going to force it on us against our will, no matter what some false doctrine teaches. God doesn't force it on us against our will. So tonight when you think about this, and, and again, you may know somebody that's caught up in some of these beliefs. Listen, I don't think it's so much as what's wrong with Calvinism as what's right with our God and His Word. You see, I'm not focused tonight, and I know the message sounded like that. I'm not focused tonight on those that might have those tendencies. What I'm focused on in my life, and I hope you are too, is the truth. And we need to stand for truth. Would you stand with me tonight with our heads bowed? Lord, I pray that you would help just the words that were said tonight, and of course, many, many verses. And the words that were said tonight were not creating doubt in someone's hearts. They were actually encouraging and strengthening them in you. But Lord, so many are trying to go in a different direction. We don't hate them. We don't dislike them. We're concerned. We're concerned about the direction of some. And Lord, I know as a pastor, and I'm just going to be honest tonight, I'm concerned about this flock. God, you've given me the responsibility and Again, each person that belongs to this body of believers has a free will, can choose what they want. It's not up to me. But as an under-shepherd, Lord, we don't want to see one, one sheep lost to something that would steer them in a wrong direction. Lord, if we buy into this, these false teachings, then we, we will be hindering others to come to you. I pray that if anything tonight, that our eyes and our hearts were opened. This is just one of so many, Lord, that are permeating in our churches in Christianity and Christian circles today. And Lord, I, I pray that you would shake us, that you would wake us up, that you would help us to see the truth, and God, that you would help us to live by it and to show others. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, listen, Brother Flynn said before the service, he said, Pastor, years ago, he said, I, I knew a guy that was totally into and had believed this. 
Brother Flynn, knowing how he is, he did exactly what I did tonight. He shared the truth with this man. And he helped that person. Now, some will listen and some won't. But why don't you come tonight and say, Lord, I need to understand. I need your Holy Spirit's direction. I need wisdom. And ask God to help you that if you start to get bent in a wrong direction, that God will straighten you out before you go the wrong way. With our heads bowed tonight, our eyes closed, why don't you come tonight, spend some time with the Lord, ask God to help you, to help you to stand against some of the false teachings in the world. Many are coming. What about you tonight? As Brother Kenny sings. You know the song, sing it along with me. Decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Join me, still I will follow. Though no one join me, still I will follow. Join me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Will behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, cross before me, no turning back, no turning. Lord, thank you for this evening and for the truth. Lord, help us to not be proud or arrogant about it. But Lord, I pray that we would live it out, that we would speak the truth in love. God, I pray that some would be helped, not only here, but maybe others that we know. We're putting this in your hands, Lord. Help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you study, and here's what you'll find is, is just like these five tenets of Calvinism, that you have things like Calvinism, and hyper-Calvinism and Reformed theology, they don't use the labels. But there are many that believe that. And I thought about it tonight, and it would have been biblical. But I, you would be amazed. Some of you may know that you would be amazed at some of the most well-known preachers today that are either Reformed in their theology, they're Calvinist, or they're hyper-Calvinist. Now, here's what, I, here's what my prayer is for you. 
there's something in the Bible called discernment. You know, it's like, I don't know if this is a good illustration, but I'll just use it. But I've been around some people, and I understand their heart. I've for years, I mean, I just, ever since God saved me, there's, there's no alcohol, no drinking in my life. I don't want to be around that, you know. But sometimes I get around Christians and they'll say, well, I'm not going to go to that store. I'm not going to shop at that store because they sell alcohol. And although I understand that, it's kind of hard to shop anywhere because everywhere sells it. So while we're in the world, we don't necessarily need to be of the world. Do you get that? So, so listen, here's, here's what I, this should be your prayer, okay? Is anyone that you're going to read and anyone that you're going to listen to, before you read the book, before you listen to them, you need to research the person, the source. Look here, this is a trusted source, okay? Now, watch this. There are some good men. I'm not saying everything they teach, everything they preach, because the devil's way is always to mix just a little error with truth. Okay, that's his way. And if he can get you just to do a little, then he's going to increase the dose. Some of you know what I'm talking about. When you think about television, I'll say this and see how many people laugh. Remember the days of Andy Griffith? That was wholesome television. And now it's amazing the stuff that you see on public television. I'm not talking late night hours. I'm talking prime time. Now, <clears throat> here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Now, I can't make you. I can't mandate it. I'm not going to come to your house, <laughs> all right? But whoever you're going to read, whoever you're going to listen to, you owe it to yourself to research who they are, to know if they're into some of this stuff we were talking about tonight. Now, if you choose, and again, it's your choice, if you choose to listen or read, you need to ask God to give you discernment. A lot of times, here's I'll use this term, this book might have bones in it. So you need to eat what's good and spit out what's bad. My pastor years ago, by the way, it's hard to find a Christian book nowadays that doesn't have some bones in it. So a Christian that's in the Word of God, close to the Lord, is going to recognize something. Remember the Bible says, they, they, uh, what's the verse? Um, they, they search the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so, right? These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, right? So my pastor used to, he, he would buy a book and he would read the book. And when he got to something in the book that he knew didn't, didn't line up with the scriptures, what he would do is he would highlight that section and he would write in the margin, this is not right, and then he would put what the truth was. And the reason he did that was because many times he would give a book away to somebody else and he wanted to make sure that they got that book and they, didn't, they weren't discerning that they were not going to accept that as the truth. Are you guys with me tonight? So here's the thing is, if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, you need to ask God to give you discernment. And when you come across something, don't swallow it. Spit it out. 
because it's not good for you. You see, people that are caught up in what I taught about tonight didn't happen overnight. It was just they read one book. They started listening. Like I said earlier, I could have I could come here tonight and it wouldn't have been wrong. I could have named uh, 10 men that some of you would have been shocked to know that these men are Calvinists. Now, some of you probably already know, especially with some of the stuff that I was preaching on tonight and, and teaching from the Word of God. Now, look, I'm saying this because I love you. I'm concerned, and pastors should be. And I don't know about you, but I was always glad when I had a pastor that loved me enough to tell me the truth. So listen, I'm smiling. I still love you. I hope you still love me. God bless you, Brother Kenny. You have anything else? They are, is that what the water was over there? We had, a, we had a water issue, and it was all afternoon, and we were trying to figure out. Brother Tim walked in the door, and, and he immediately started to try to figure out what was going on. So if you do need to, there is a, is it all bathrooms? To the building. Sorry, so run. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Lord bless you. Have a great week. You are dismissed. <laughs> Oh my goodness, <laughs> it's going right out there.